Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Yes, it does. Hey, welcome back to the second hour of At Your Service tonight. Brad Young in with you for a while, at least until 10 o'clock. And after that, of course, the uh, Best of Dave Glover show coming up at 10 o'clock. So you want to stick around for that. You know, you probably listen to to talk radio the same reason I have my entire life. I grew up listening to KMOX, loved it. Uh, uh, but to me, it was engaging, thought-provoking, and interesting. That's what always has lured me to talk radio. And that's what lured me to listening to, to Charlie Brennan when he came here in 1988. I was in law school then, and whatever free time I had, I, I would turn on Camel X, even in the midst of reading hundreds and hundreds of pages of, uh, of case law in law school to get ready for the next day of school. I squeezed it in because it was interesting. It was thought-provoking. It was challenging, in addition to being entertaining. So all night long, of course, this is going to be a Charlie Brennan love fest, except when we're in an interview, which we've got an interview coming up here uh, in the second segment of the show. But if you've got some additional Charlie Brennan stories that you would like to share, give us a call, 314-436-7900. I've got a few texts as well. And, of course, uh, most the vast majority of the texts are coming in uh, just talking about how much Folks have loved Charlie Brennan. And I don't want to talk about him in the past tense. He just texted me like 10 minutes ago. So he's not gone. He's still with us. We're going to see him on uh, Donnybrook on Thursday nights, of course, over on Channel 9. Uh, you'll probably see him from time to time coming up here, maybe on Camel X. Reach out to him. And as I mentioned, maybe there's a Ryan Recker radio special that will be eventually done in honor of Charlie Brennan. So uh, he is still with us. One of the things uh, I, I want to get to here, and I want to make sure that Matt Pajeski, our uh, board operator here, is with us. Hey, Matt, do you do you have a do you have a pet? Yep, I've got a little puppy dog. Little puppy dog. What kind of dog? Uh, she is a <clears throat> she is a mini miniature poodle spaniel mix. Wow, big, tiny, mm, super tiny, super tiny. So it was when you say a poodle mix, you mean like a a, a miniature poodle, a miniature mix. poodle. Yeah. Okay, because. Have you, ever, have you ever seen the standard poodles? Yeah. I mean, those things are big. You can, are. Put a, you can put a saddle on them. No, the, uh, mine, you can hold in the cover of your hand pretty much. Wow. Okay. So always been a pet owner, yes. always been a dog yep. owner. 
Okay, the reason why I'm, I'm plugging you with these questions, Matt, is because there was a study came out today uh, that uh, 2,000 dog and cat owners were were surveyed. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty big survey, 2,000. And 33% said that they would choose their four-legged friends over keeping their houses. And 33% said they would choose their pet over their significant other. Wow. So what, how how does that grab you? How would you fall in? I mean, I'm that category. I know you're not married, but how would you? No. How would how would that? Well, fit I'm in not there? a homeowner either, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I would like to think that I would probably choose my significant other or a homeowner. Um, you know, I hope my hope my dog's not listening right now, but I feel like that's an easy choice. <laughs> hope my dog's not listening. Maybe maybe it's not an easy choice as it, as it might as it, as it appears to be. Like if you were in a situation where you were forced to choose, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, but right now I'm thinking for sure the dog's got to come last, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it is a dog, but, but my, at my house, I've got a black lab, right? Yeah. And my youngest daughter just came home from college today from a zoo. And, uh, she loves this dog. Her dog's name's Dinah. And my daughter, Laura, loves Dinah, our black lab. And so while she's been gone at college, of course, me being the alpha male, okay, I'm the only male in the house. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've been feeding the dog. I've been walking the dog. I've been taking care of the dog. My daughter, Laura, walks in the door. I give her a hug, and the dog starts barking at me. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, listen, dog, who's been feeding you? Who's been walking you since Christmas? It's been moi. Yeah. And then I just try to hug my daughter, and she goes crazy. I always thought that maybe, like, when dogs see people hugging, that they maybe thought it was some sort of, like, attack or something. Because, like, I, my dog has done that, you know, before. I've seen other people's dogs do that. Sure. They, just, they just don't understand that concept, I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think <laughs> so. But it seemed like she was ready to take me down. And, like, I've been feeding you yeah. for the last five months, okay? Yeah. Back off, dog. <laughs> uh, but she, she was ready to take me down. But, uh, yeah, another 31%. Of respondents said that the possibility of their pet's death keeps them up at night, uh, even more so than going through a divorce. They were more worried about their pet's uh, passing than they were about divorce. So, uh, so yeah, people love their pets. And uh, have you ever had a cat? No. No. I'm not a cat person. See, I knew I liked you. Yeah. <laughs> now, any Anytime I say anything derogatory about cats, I get hate mail. Uh, or hate text, but uh, but no, my there's some members of my family that like cats, so I'll, I'll I'll enjoy them. But no, I've always had dogs. Yeah, me too. And dogs are great; they're yeah. the best because they welcome you home and they're laughing and they're good to see you. They're glad to see you, except if you try to hug my daughter and then then she goes bananas. So uh, so that's a word to any future boyfriends. Watch out for the dog if you're coming to the young household because she doesn't like it when the daughter is being hugged. Hey, coming up after the break, we're going to have a fascinating conversation because NASA has announced that it has found more than 5,000 planets in orbit around stars throughout our galaxy. So how are these planets even found? And what does it mean? What are they they searching for? How do we find them? I'm going to break all that down with astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University Right after this on Camo X. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. NASA announced last week that it has now found more than 5,000 planets in orbit around stars throughout our galaxy. They're called exoplanets. And I have a lot of questions about this. So to find some of the answers, I reached out to a friend of the show, astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori, Ph.D., assistant professor of physics at Washington University. Hey, Dr. Ogliori, it's great to talk to you again. Yes, thanks for having me, Brad. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. And uh, I think it was 30 years ago, correct me if I'm wrong, but about 30 years ago when scientists first found evidence of an exoplanet. But uh, but again, how how do we define an exoplanet? Yeah, so this is a planet, like you said, around another star in the galaxy or maybe even another galaxy. So um, it just has to be in orbit around a star other than our sun. Well, here's what just really is is mind-boggling to comprehend, that these planets are thousands of light years potentially uh, away from the Earth, certainly many light years, even in the best scenario. But how are these exoplanets even identified? Yeah, so so there are a few different methods. The most common, most of those 5,000 exoplanets you mentioned were detected by an indirect means. So it's easier to measure changes in the motion of the star that the exoplanet orbits than to detect the exoplanet itself because it's dark, it doesn't emit light, and astronomy is the study of light. So it's much easier to see how the star changes. So, so one method is called the radial velocity method, and the star, the, the planet orbits the star, but the star also kind of orbits the planet. They orbit the center of mass. And so that star shakes a little bit. And what astronomers can do is measure the frequency change in light as that star kind of moves uh, towards you and away from you, just like uh, uh, ambulance going by you, the pitch changes. So mm-hmm. that's one way. Another way is the transit method. So that planet passes in front of the star. And just like the solar eclipse we saw a few years ago, the star's light will decrease and then will increase again as that planet goes past the star. Um, and uh, microlensing is another method, kind of an indirect method that uses um, what Einstein predicted about light curving in a gravitational field. Uh, but more recently, and more, and to me, the most exciting thing is direct imaging. So if we can block that light from that bright star by some means, uh, we can actually image that planet directly. And this wow. is a method that's becoming more and more popular. Wow, we're we're talking to astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University. And, and given the sheer number of exoplanets, I, the most recent number is about 5,000, is it, is it more likely than not that most of the stars that we see in the sky are being orbited by at least one exoplanet? 
Yeah, that's that's the number I'm seeing. It's like like half and maybe it's 80 percent, 90 percent, you know. So uh, this really is revolutionary. Um, you know, I, I've been interested in space my whole life. And when I was a young kid, this this wasn't true. Right. We thought our solar system was unique. There is no place else like it. And now we're seeing that the planets are relatively common in the galaxy and probably other galaxies, too. And this really is, is mind blowing to me. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. And I'm not going to start quoting from Star Trek, although I would certainly love to, but I'm not going to bring that into the into the conversation. But we know these these exoplanets are light years away from the Earth. But even with that difference of time and space, what can scientists learn? Scientists like you, what can we learn about these distant worlds, even though they're they're an unimaginable distance away from us? Yeah, they're really far away. And using most of those techniques I talked about, like that star going in, the planet going in front of the star and the star shaking a little bit, we get quite limited information to exoplanets. We get their masses, diameters, and therefore we get their densities, how far they are from the host star. And that's kind of the basic set of information we get. But if you can picture an, uh, a planet with an atmosphere like the Earth going in front of that host star, and you catch it right before the planet itself goes in front, you can see that maybe we can uh, measure the light that passes through that planet's atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is the super exciting thing in exoplanets is, is doing atmospheric chemistry of these exoplanets, because the thing that I study most is planetary science, and we can understand the composition and structure of planets in the solar system very well, and there's a chance that we might get some of that information from these exoplanets and we can really understand their habitability, if they might contain life. And this is the new frontier that we're going to see in the coming uh, decades. And it's really exciting. Oh, it, it is exciting. We're talking to astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University. And I understand that many of these exoplanets are gas giants. Can you tell us what is a gas giant? Because when I hear that, I think of an uncle of mine that used to come to Christmas parties, but that's not what we're talking about here. No, that's that's a little different. So a gas giant is like Jupiter or Saturn, uh, and these are planets that might contain a rocky core. We think Jupiter had a rocky core, but then it formed when our solar system was full of gas and dust. And so it accreted a rocky core really quickly, and it swept up all the gas that was around it. So it's mostly made of gas. So you wouldn't want to live on a place like that. It's not habitable. Um, but those are the early form planets. Those are the big planets. And those are the planets that are most easily detectable with those methods that I described earlier. So we're kind of biased to detecting those planets. And it's not necessarily to say that those are the most common types of planets in the galaxy. They might be. But we're also just very sensitive to find them using these uh, methods. Right, because they're, they tend to be the larger planets, don't they? That's right. That's right. And they're larger. They block more light. They're easier to, easier to find. Exactly. But then there's also the term I've heard about super-Earths. And uh, what, what, do, what is a super-Earth planet? Yeah, so we can find um, slightly, you know, maybe planets of rocky composition. And like I said, we can, we can get their densities. Um, it's hard to find planets that are close in size to the Earth. Uh, that technique, the technique that's most sensitive to that is this microlensing technique. And we found we're finding more and more in the last couple of years with microlensing. It's just the, the techniques we use. Um, it's tough to find super earth, but we found a few and we're finding more. Um, those are, are, you know, significantly larger than our earth, but we're getting closer to finding things 
about the size of Earth, and they also have to be in the habitable zone of their host star to be possibly habitable planets, which is the thing we're most interested in. Right. So when you say the habitable zone, it means kind of Goldilocks. It's not too hot like Mercury, which uh, I believe when the Russians and, and landed something on on uh, Venus, rather, not Mercury, but on Venus, it just kind of melted uh, a long time ago. So we don't want that. But if it's too far away, it's too cold. So when you say the habitable zone, you're saying not too hot, not too cold, right? That's right. Yeah, where we could have uh, warm temperatures, liquid water is super important. Um, you could also have habitable zones around uh, brown dwarfs or gas giants, like uh, you can get heating from tidal heating. So we have moons of Jupiter that experience tidal heating, could have liquid water. So that's, the habitable zone might be more complicated than mm -hmm. just a band around the star. We could have habitable exomoons. So that opens up the number of, of possible habitable worlds in the galaxy. And, and since we're talking about uh, the, the mission of hunting for planets, tell us about, I think it was called the, the TESS, T-E-S-S, -S, mission that was launched in 2018. How is that mission uniquely designed to help us find more exoplanets? Yeah, so, so TESS, so there, is, there is Kepler first, which is... Um, had a little problem with a reaction wheel, I think, so it's not doing quite as much as it did at the beginning of the mission. TESS is really the next step. So these things have to be designed uh, to do, so like with the transit method, the telescope has to measure the brightness of a star very, very accurately. And you have to basically design a telescope to do this specifically. And TESS is designed to do it. So it's hard to do exoplanets kind of on the side when you do have a, a telescope doing other things, uh, though James Webb Telescope will be able to do this as well. So well, that's, uh, this is the next mission that's a planet hunter mission, uh, and that's that's what we need to find more of these things. Yeah, that's actually what I want to talk to, talk about now because James Webb, I've been following this for a decade in the development process, and I know that it's nearing completion of the testing phase and, and that it's parked about a million miles, and I'm not just using that as a generic term, about a million miles away from the Earth. But how is the James Webb Space Telescope, how is that different from, say, the Hubble Space Telescope that we've all, we've all known and loved for the past 30 years? Yeah, James Webb will measure in the infrared wavelengths, and not to get too technical, but infrared wavelengths are sensitive to molecular vibrations. And so we can measure molecules. So these are molecules uh, like methane, ammonia, nitrous oxide, which might be uh, a signature of, of industry on an exoplanet. So um, I love the infrared band because it gives us these molecules and gives us a, a kind of an, a window into the complicated chemistry that might be happening in exoplanet atmosphere. So that's why I'm excited for JWST measurements of uh, exoplanets. So also find new ones with the transit method, but I'm most excited about that infrared information to give us the molecules. Sure, and we've already seen some of the like test pictures that have been taken, and already it looks sharp. I'm excited to see what it's going to discover. But speaking of discoveries, uh, I just read this today that astronomers revealed the, the first image of a black hole at the heart of the Milky Way galaxy. How big is this for science to finally see this? Yeah, it's really cool. It's, um, we had a black hole image from um, another, a, a very supermassive black hole uh, from another galaxy a couple of years ago. So 
this one is really cool. It's, it's Sagittarius A-star, so it's the, the famous one um, that's kind of at the center of ours. Uh, it looks somewhat to me, I, I, I just saw it today, just like you, so it looks somewhat similar to the, the other picture we saw. Uh, but this, it's amazing. The technology is amazing. So they use a bunch of different telescopes to construct an image um, as, as we circle the sun and we construct all these baselines. So technically, it's super cool. And it's amazing to find, just like the exoplanets, it's amazing to finally get an image and hard data of this thing that, that basically we've only imagined until now. We've all pictured black mm -hmm. holes, but to finally get some like scientific data that's spatially resolved. We can actually see that accretion disk, the magnetic fields around the black hole. is really super amazing. I think it really ignites imagination. Oh, it does. Public. It does. Yeah. Is there, and this is something I've read before, but how often do I get a chance to talk to an astrophysicist? So I, yeah. that's why I love having you on the show. But is there, a, does, does science believe that there's a black hole at the center of every galaxy? And if so, What's the prevailing theory about its formation and, and the way that it factors into the creation of a galaxy? Yeah, I, I think that that is the, at least uh, when I was more following the kind of um, the galactic type astrophysics, which is about 10 years out of date, <laughs> but when I was closely following that, that was the idea that there was a black hole at, every, at the center of every galaxy um, I'm not sure how that determines like its dynamics, sure. uh, the kind of large scale things, like certainly small scale, it has a huge effect. Right. But, but um, since that's been a, a theory for a long time, to me, it mm -hmm. seems almost like finding this black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy is sort of a, an initial confirmation of that theory. Yeah. Yeah. We thought, we thought that was, that black hole was there and that image that we just saw today really drives it home. Um, there's other kind of, just like the exoplanets, there's indirect information mm -hmm. of the black hole's uh, existence. And scientifically, that's very convincing, just like that transit method. We don't actually see the planet, but we have this very convincing science data that it's there. But actually seeing it is a different thing. So it is, it is pretty cool. Very good. It is cool. And because science is cool, and I'm very glad uh, that you take the time to talk to us about these issues and you put up with my silly questions. Astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University. Hey, thanks so much for being with us on Camo X. Thank you. And I will reach out to you again, probably in the very near future, because you do a great job. Hey, uh, coming up after the break, we're going to talk some more about uh, about the Supreme Court situation. Not a lot, but there's a couple of more things about that that I want to address and also uh, about our new press secretary, some interesting beliefs that she has, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, and her thoughts about the 2016 election. Brad Young at your service on X. We'll be right back. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Use both your KMOX presets when you're in the car. 98.7 FM near the city and 1120 AM further out. Two buttons for KMOX, the voice of St. Louis.
One of the topics of conversation that I get a lot is, particularly with my liberal friends, is that they they ask me about whether or not I think the 2020 election was rigged. And particularly when my left-leaning friends, and I've got a lot of them, ask me that question, I know why they're asking it, because they know that my position on that is generally that there was a lot of fraud. In fact, just today, there was a uh, a Democrat county supervisor in Virginia was indicted on 82 counts of voter fraud related to ballot harvesting. So was there a lot of fraud in the 2000 election? Of course there was. Uh, but at this point, I haven't seen any evidence that would have overturned the election. Now, I'm going to watch 2000 Mules. Haven't seen it yet. I will watch it just because I, I want to to keep an open mind. But at this point... I haven't seen evidence that would have overturned the outcome of the election. But when I get those questions from my liberal friends, I'll share with them my opinion, and then they nod approvingly. But then then I'll ask them, I say, well, do you think that anyone who questions the outcome of the election is crazy or demented or so biased that they can't see reality? And they always say, and it's a sucker question, okay? Because they and they always fall for my sucker questions every time. So they'll immediately say, "Oh yes, anyone who thinks that the the, uh, the election was rigged uh, and wasn't legitimate, why they're insane and they just don't know uh, their biases are just blinding them to the truth." I'm like, okay, great. Then my follow up question is this: Well, do you think that the 2016 election, when Hillary Clinton lost, was it rigged? And like eight times out of 10, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, that election was rigged. Hillary Clinton should have won and the Russians through that election. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Do you understand the duplicitous nature of what you just said? You said anyone who questions the outcome of the 2020 election is insane, but you yourself think that Hillary Clinton really won in 2016. Don't you see how that's a problem from a logic standpoint? So you're saying anyone who questions the election is crazy unless it's the 2016 election, which, of course, from the Libs perspective, Hillary Clinton should have won and it was rigged by the Russians. You can't hold both of those positions at the same time. But why am I bringing all this up? Because uh, Jen Psaki, who's the president's press secretary, is stepping down. And, of course, she's going to go to MSNBC where else. And by the way... MSNBC, I don't know if you know this or not, but that's the favorite place for the FBI's witness protection program. Because if they give you a show on MSNBC, no one's ever going to see you or hear from you again. So it's it's a very great place for the witness protection program. But the new the new uh, press secretary, her name is Karine Jean-Pierre. I looked this up today. She has texted frequently and often about how the 2016 election was stolen, that the Russians stole it. And in fact, I'm quoting her here. She said, yes, the race was stolen, unquote. So in today's, in today's discussion, if you're crazy, if you question whether an election is stolen or not, why is the next press secretary for the president of the United States, by the Libs' own definition, why is she crazy? Why can't we acknowledge that she's crazy because she says the 2016 election was stolen. I'm just asking for cl- for clarity here. That's all I'm asking for. And yet, so often from the logic of the left, there's very 
little clarity. I'll tell you who has a lot of clarity, though, and that's Larry. Hey, Larry, welcome to KMOX again, my friend. How are you this evening? It's great to talk to you. How are you? I'm good. So the 2016 election, let's start there. Okay. So if if the Russians were involved, <laughs> why did Hil- why did Hillary Clinton win the popular vote? Yeah, if they were going to steal the election, they should have stolen it to show that Trump won the popular vote. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I I heard you on the radio a couple weeks ago on the sister station discussing religious movies. And there's one religious movie that I'd like to refer to you. Okay. It's called The Story of Joseph. Ben Kingsley, Paul mm-hmm. Mercurio, and Martin Landau star in it. It is a three-hour movie. The Story of Joseph? The Story of Joseph. Got it. If this would have hit, the, if this hit the, the, the regular movie houses, it would have won the Academy Award. So I followed along with it in the King James Bible. I'm an advocate of the King James Bible. And there's only two little miscues, and they're very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when Dave, when uh, Joseph was thrown into the whale and in, into the well, there mm-hmm. was a snake in the well in the movie. It doesn't say that in the King James. And then there was some verbiage when uh, when Joseph was incarcerated by the uh, by the Egyptians. But the movie is just well acted out. The story. I mean, it's it's a fabulous movie. You sit around, you watch the first hour and a half, pop up a little popcorn, or <laughs> wait, and you know, and then you watch the second half. Larry, you know how things work at my house. I we pop a lot of popcorn. Yeah. I'm not talking microwave. You know, that's <laughs> okay. for pansies. I'm talking about we. You get out the pan and you pop so much that you you you, oh, you, you wow. basically it's like a bathtub full of popcorn. That's what we do at my house that's every Sunday day. night. We do it every Sunday night. We do it old school. So here. Here's one last thing. <clears throat> so they were talking about this formula shortage, and I caught this on. Um, I'm a Newsmax guy. Yep, and I know so where you're going. News, they, Go ahead. They've got trail. They've got trailers full of formula down by the border. Yep. This is contrived. You know, I only have one word to describe what's going on in our government right now. Well, make sure. Well, well, before you say it, oh, condescending. Okay, good. I was going to make sure you didn't say something that was going to violate FCC rules on that one. No, no, no. I'm more of a gentleman than that. Okay, good. Condescending. It's it's unbelievable. It's it, nauseating. It is. Hey, Larry, I appreciate you calling in, my friend. It's always great to talk to you. You too. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Hey, we're going to take a break here, and when we come back for the last segment, I want to dive in because this is all broken since I was – Uh, The story has broken about the Disinformation Governance Board, and I haven't been on X in a a week or so, so I want to talk about that. Coming up next here at your service on X. Serving St. Louis for over 96 years. X. Hey, welcome back to At Your Service. Before I jump into the Disinformation Governance Board, and yes, that was a pun, uh, I, I do have a quick question or a quick co- observation. I didn't get to ask this to our astrophysicist friend, Dr. Ryan Ogliori, but one of the things that NASA wants to do is send the directions on how to find the Earth. They're going to send it into space on a, on a, on a deep space mission. And I'm thinking, you know, the, all these people at NASA are geniuses. The men and women there are 
are they are literally rocket scientists, okay? Haven't they ever seen a science fiction movie ever? I mean, if you send the directions on how to find the Earth into space, we know it's going to happen. Just watch Independence Day. You know what's going to happen. I just think that's a colossally bad idea. I think they should give directions to go to, say, uh, uh, Mars. And then if they accidentally go to the wrong planet, then we can we can at least spot them and do something like uh, have Bruce Willis go on a rocket and go out there and save us from the aliens that landed on Mars by mistake. That maybe makes a better idea than giving them directions on how to find the Earth. I just think that's uh, uh, that's asking for that's just asking for trouble. If you've ever seen Independence Day or okay any science fiction movie ever, the aliens are coming here to to eat us or something. You don't want to give them directions on how to find us. Uh, but uh, before before we dive back into this, John's been holding during my rant. Hey, John, welcome to KMOX. Hi. Uh, I just wanted if you could finish your, the uh, thought on uh, you had the caller who was the yes. fan of the uh, King James Version of the Bible. And uh, someone, he, I think he went on to say that, well, there's all kinds of trailers down by the border with baby formula on it. And that's as far as he got. Now, are we to insinuate something here? Well, I, th- I can tell you what the insinuation is. I can tell you also that the only thing that I've read in multiple sources is that the Biden administration ordered uh, one pallet, is all that I've read, one pallet of baby formula to go to the border instead of distributing it to people within the United States. Now, beyond that, I mean, the, the reason why that story is getting a lot of traction is the argument that says, why are we sending baby formula to the border instead of using it here in the United States? I guess my response right. to that is, right. if there's only one pallet of baby formula, I don't know that it's going to make a big difference one way or the other. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's only if it's only one one pallet of, of baby food, but I do know that at the local grocery stores that I go to, uh, you know, there's only two 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 uh, brands of grocery stores, and uh, they say not only do we have it on the shelves, we don't have it in our warehouse. Well, uh, but I did read today that I think the baby formula companies are going to increase their production. But, of course, that's difficult because people can't hire. You can't hire employees today. So I don't know how you can ramp up production if you're using the same number of employees. You have to hire, and that's extremely difficult in today's environment. 11.3 million open jobs in America, and we just can't fill them. And that's going to impact think, the baby formula issue as well. Right. Well, about, about that, people talk about the number of people. Um, uh, I don't know if my train is out here. The number of people that are the jobs aren't being taken. I heard that it's because we just don't have that many people available, not no. only in the U.S. but worldwide. Well, we we've got lots of people, but we we got lots of people today that are that could maybe go out and get a job. You look at the employment rate, John, but the unemployment rate only factors in people who are actively looking for jobs. If people stop looking for jobs and are content to live on the government benefits that they receive then those folks are never counted as unemployed. And so I think there, there would be people, but if you're going to pay them, how many states now are considering what's called universal basic income, where, people, where the government pays you to do nothing? That is the worst idea ever floated out. And, and yet because of excess government benefits now, we've got a lot of people who are living in that exact situation. I've heard that talked about about the uh, – a, a, a guaranteed um, 
uh, wage, a livable wage, but I never thought it ever got any got got, got any anywhere. Yeah, the, in it, fact, there's a couple of cities in California right now that have launched trial programs. Boston, who has a mayor, I'm I'm not casting out just uh, uh, tags for her, but she calls herself a socialist. She has already stated, I want to implement universal basic income, UBI, in the city of Boston. And so we're going to see some real trial balloons on this, John, and we're going to see how a colossally bad idea this is, because if you give people an incentive not to work, guess what? They're not going to work. And if we already have 11.3 million open jobs, how many more million of open jobs are we going to have if the government is paying people with money we don't have, borrowing money from China to pay people to stay home and and watch Dr. Phil on TV or Oprah? I mean, that's such an absurd idea that it's shocking that that's getting any traction. Right. Well... Besides that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like the play? <laughs> That's a great retort. You know, I use that line quite a bit, and uh, it's thanks. very, very appropriate. Hey, John, thanks for calling in. Y- yes, sir. Appreciate it, and thanks for listening. Uh, I-, I will tell you very quickly in the time that we have left uh, that a poll that came out today, 59% of voters are more worried about the federal government deciding what information and news should be allowed, 59% are more worried about that than they are about the supposed disinformation or fake news. And to me, that's stunning. That's a stunning number. But very briefly, I want to tell you why I think this disinformation governance board is not only a colossally bad idea, but it violates every concept of free speech that we have in this country. Because first, the Biden administration argued through the the White House uh, press secretary and other officials that all the information being talked about about the election is all false. All the information about COVID is false. Okay, that's fine. They could talk about that. But then Biden and White House officials, including press secretary Jen Psaki and even the Surgeon General, started instructing instructing tech companies to censor conservatives. And we saw that happening time and time and time again. Then that same week that Elon Musk announced that he and others were buying Twitter, all of a sudden the director of Homeland Security announced the creation of the disinformation governance board. So what they couldn't direct companies, particularly tech companies, to censor conservatives, now we have to create a governance, a disinformation governance board to determine what is true and what is accurate. Do you and, and listen, take politics out of this for just a moment, because there's going to be another Republican president sometime in the future, and there's going to be more Democrat presidents in the future. That's how it works. But regardless of your political persuasion, do you ever want the government deciding what's true and what's false? Do you ever, in any context, do you want the government doing that? Or, do, or would you rather have what we call the marketplace of ideas where we can determine through that, that uh, a dissonance of information coming at us that reaches different conclusions, determining for ourselves what is true and what is not true? I don't care who sits in the White House. I don't ever want the government telling me what's true and what's not true. I don't want the government ever saying, this is false. Because I want to determine for myself what's true or what's false, not what the government says, regardless of whether it's a Democrat, Republican, Independent, or a Socialist. And I hope that you feel 
the exact same way. Hey, Brad Young in with you tonight on At Your Service. Should be back next Wednesday night. Stick around for the Dave Glover Show next here on Camo X. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.